0: It's the most wonderful time of the year
1: with
2: the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling. Yes, that's right. It is the most wonderful time of the year. We've got all the major F's lined up this week. We've got family. Hopefully, you get to see some family, some friends. We'll throw that F in there. We've got some great food. We'll talk about that on this episode of college football impact on the CFP podcast. We've got maybe some fine fermented flavors, whatever your beverage of choice or beverages, uh, make sure you do it responsibly. And then there's the big up gentlemen, that is football. That's the best part of this week. That's why to me, this is my favorite week of the year. And for all those reasons I just laid out, but if you're a football fan, if you're a fan of eating, if you're a fan of just taking time off of work, which I think is needed for some people, it's awesome. It doesn't get much better than this. So I am chappy. I am joined by my friends and my co-hosts, my college football brethren, Mr. Mike Waxman from Columbus, Ohio, and Mr. Pat Sullivan from Boston, Mass. Gentlemen, let's start off with some pregame thoughts. Wax, we'll go to you. What's on your mind? Pregame thoughts before we get into it today.
3: Well, I agree with you. I think that this is a great weekend, Um, family, food, football, um, rivalry games, which means that if you've been waiting all season to kind of stick it to the team that you really hate, this is your chance, yep. uh, but it's also kind of bittersweet because it's the, really the last big regular weekend of the season, and you're thinking, where the hell did it go? We were just like at week one, not that long ago, and yep. now it's done. So it's kind of a mixed emotions, but I agree. We are going to have the bowl games, so and we're going to have the CFP. So there can't be too much complaining. The only complaining I will do is if someone decides to steal the last piece of pumpkin pie from me, we got some problems
2: <laughs> fair enough fair enough mr sullivan your thoughts on what we've got coming up or looking back on last
1: weekend yeah you know there's uh there's uh, we go through this every year with wax and i don't understand why he likes pumpkin pie I- i've never met a single person that likes pumpkin pie i know it's in the christmas songs but for some reason the wax man likes the pumpkin pie but you know what the wax man hit another axe this week with Dan mullen over in florida so he's two for two on his wax list. so I'm not going to try to upset him too much because I don't want to be axed from uh, CFI here. So, you know what, Lax, I'm going to send you a good side and I'm not going to talk anymore about pumpkin pie. So it's off limits now. Uh, But you know what? You forgot two F's in uh, in your beginning intro here. And that's fix and forget. And that's uh, what LSU and what Florida and what all these teams coming up are going to have to do is they're going to have to fix their team in the offseason and put 2021 behind them. They're going to have to forget about it quickly. Because these this season for those teams was just such an abomination. They need to make sure that that fan base, that, that alumni, their supporters, their boosters, that they quickly forget. And it's going to come with the hiring of whoever the next head ball coach is. Uh, Chappie, I know you're a little more in touch with who the leading candidates are on this, but whoever they get down in the bayou, whoever they get in the swamp, they're going to have to be big-time coaches because you cannot swing and miss in the SEC.
2: Yeah, and, and you brought up two other Fs, uh, the fans and funds, right? So – whoever they're going to hire, they're going to have to be somebody that's going to bring those fans back, give them some, some faith. There's another F word for us. And, um, also make sure that the funds are coming in donors, people coming to the seats, people buying into the program. And speaking of funds, I am blown away at how much money is exchanging hands and how little a contract or a timeline might be case in point. I'm hearing word that Brian Harson is a candidate for the Washington job, which doesn't surprise me, but he just signed a, he's not even a full calendar year into his job. There's people who are talking about Steve Sarkeesian possibly being on the hot seat and being booted from Austin, Texas, after they fired Tom Herman with a 60 something to 20 something blowout bowl victory over Colorado on a national stage with a lot of good things pointing in the right direction. And then Herman is, Ousted out of there, so uh, a lot of things to to think about, to talk about, and we're going to get to that food in a little bit. But I'm with you, Sully. I am not going to get on Wax's bad side because with all the things that he's brought the hammer down on, I don't want to be the next one. And we'll talk about food in one of our later segments. So a little news and notes here. Coaching news: We talked about you. You mentioned Dan Mullen; he's out at Florida. Chip Lindsey out at Troy. So that puts the magic number of coaching openings, I think, at 12 right now. One of them, of course, was was filled by Clay Helton, who is going to go to Georgia Southern. I think kind of a cool move for them in the fact that he gets to scout this program and, and know what his team is going to look like going into it. Keep an eye on Miami as well, because they fired their athletic director and Manny Diaz, if they win, become bowl eligible at six wins, I believe. So there's, there's something to watch out as well, especially if Mario Cristobal is peeping going down to Florida and heading back to his alma mater. I I would have to believe that if you're Miami boosters, if you're Miami fan base, you're kind of leaning towards your your son who played on that 92 team that was really good in Coral Gables as opposed to Manny Diaz, who just hasn't been able to deliver anything of a big win. Continuing on from news and notes, Adrian Martinez done for the season. He will not play in the finale against Iowa, uh, a shoulder injury. Plus, we learned that he was playing with a bum jaw most of the season. He could return for his fifth year next year. So Logan Smothers, a redshirt freshman, will start in his place against that very stout Iowa defense. And then transfer portal talk, Eli Ricks, gone from LSU. He's put his name in the portal. Other big names that we heard from the past week, Micah Pittman from Oregon, wide receiver. Jakari Robinson, a center from Memphis, who was actually their backup center but played at Cincinnati last year. Outside linebacker Tim Terry from Buffalo. Brock Sturgis starting running back for Texas state, Anthony Watts from Purdue defensive tackle, Xavier Williams from Alabama, and then Hassan Hall, a very fast, very speedy running back and kick returner for Louisville. So anything jump out with those news and notes or anything you want to hit on before we move ahead.
1: Actually, I was, I was going to ask Wax a question on this one because I know you know this guy uh, as well as, as well as may, maybe I do is uh, Jeff Hafley, And with all the news coming out of all these uh, head coach vacancies I get nervous being a BC guy out here in Boston that sooner or later, his name's going to pop up because you have all these other coaches who are making either uh, moves up the ladder or lateral moves from conference to conference. And uh, I get it. It's obviously a big power five job out in, in Boston, but you can only recruit so much out there. It's a school that puts way too much pressure uh, on academics and rightfully so, uh, but it, it certainly limits the pool of, uh, of talent you can get out there. And let's face it, not a lot of people want to come in uh, and live in Boston year round when you can go to Miami or California or, you know, Georgia. So want to hear from you guys. I got a lot of listeners out here in Boston. Are we, uh, we going to have to be looking for a coach sometime soon here? Yeah? You know what?
3: I think that, that Halfley, I mean, BC is better this year, but I don't know that they've really gotten over that hump. Certainly the injury to, to Phil didn't help. With the offense it kind of became stagnant i think you've got another at least year or two if he can get them to consistently be a seven eight win team then i think he's going to be on the short list for a lot of jobs but right now i think he's still in the building stage and i don't know like would he take the troy job that would be a lateral move that would be a down move washington i don't know if he's quite ready for that stage yet I think he likes where he is, and I think he wants to build and show that maybe he can take on Clemson and take on some of the, the bigger things. I was actually going to talk a little bit also, Chappie. It sounds like the ink is all but dried on Sonny Dykes going to TCU, which yep. I know that he really wants, and I think that would be a great hire, and SMU would be losing out, but it sounds like they have their sights set on Rhett Lashley, which if Miami is bringing in a new AD... Why not just clean house and let all these people go places and start from scratch? So Lashley, with his offense, that would not be much of a retooling at SMU because it's already an offensive minded school. And TCU, uh, Sonny was there for a year before and he really liked Gary Patterson. He really liked the area and he liked what the culture can be and what you can do at TCU. So that's another one to look at and breaking news. James Franklin signed a 10 year, $85 million deal to stay at Penn state.
2: Well, that's what it says on paper. I'm still not sold that he's not going to test uh, the Florida job. Cause he's got a second home in Florida. And also uh, I would put more stock in the USC job. If Franklin wants to get out of the shadow of Ohio state and basically go to a conference where he can pretty much be the King. So, To throw it back to your question, Sully, if James Franklin ends up saying poo-poo to that deal and and basically you know, he buys it out or he gives the money back, however it's going to work out, he goes elsewhere, I think Halfley could be near the top of that short list to come to Happy Valley because he coached in Pittsburgh before, and I know the people at Penn State would love to have a former Ohio State coach, somebody on the in, to come in there and try and infiltrate and and knock down the Buckeyes from the, the Big Ten East. So just food for thought. Now, we have bigger things to talk about, and that is the hardware that's going to be dished out in New York City in early December. So we're going to get to a new segment called Light Em Up. up, up, up. up, up. up, up. up, up. up, up. up, up. What's going to happen here is our experts, Wax and Sully, They're gonna give you their thoughts on a specific question. So today's question is, why does X candidate deserve the most talk and the most love in the Heisman? And so Sully's gonna hype up Bryce Young. Wax is gonna talk about CJ Stroud from Ohio State. Now we'll let Sully go first because the Alabama Crimson Tide currently are ranked third in the CFP. So because of that lower ranking, we're gonna give you the honors in the T box first, Mr. Sullivan, and then we'll throw it to you wax about why C.J. Stroud from Ohio State deserves more people's loves and attention and votes over Mr. Young. So, Sully, tell us, why does Bryce Young deserve our Heisman vote right now?
1: So, I think it's going to be a little roller coaster of, uh, of emotions here between those two, and I do think it's a two-man race. I would love for my man Kenny Pickett to be in the mix. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be because even though he's going to get to the ACC championship, I'm not sure it's high profile enough for some of these voters to really take him serious and uh, let's be honest, it's always going to be really between teams that are in the mix with the CFP, anyways, that are going to be uh, in the mix in, uh, in New York. But listen, CJ obviously has a much more high profile game this weekend. Shared the Iron Bowl is a big game with Alabama and Auburn, but Auburn isn't even a top 25 team. Uh, they don't pose that threat right now where, uh, you know, he has to, where, you know, it's, uh, Bryce Young has to go out and throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns to be able to win the game. They could go and win this game you know, scoring 21 points, running away if they wanted to. Uh, So I don't think he's going to have to have a big monster game. I do think in the back of everyone's mind down there in Tuscaloosa, they want to keep him as the front runner. It's a big deal. He's the highest rated recruit Saban's ever had. So they really want to flex that, that, you know, he can run away with the Heisman. Stroud's going to have a big game on Saturday because, you know, again, you all know that I think Michigan's way overrated. Uh, So he's going to put up the numbers. He's probably going to be the leader going into the conference championship. Uh, But let's remember that the votes for the Heisman end after the conference championships, after the CFP teams are announced, but not before the CFP games. So if one of those two players can get, can win a conference championship and get into the CFP, I think that could be the tiebreaker that ends up going in that player's favor. With that said, uh, obviously Michigan's got a great defense. So for Stroud to go in there and, and ball out against them, that would mean something. Georgia has just been the King Kong of college football this season. They have been the top of the top. They've been the best defense. You know, they get a uh, big number 99 there who just looks like King Kong and and uh, looks like an absolute monster to run against and I guess even scores touchdowns now. But, you know, you, you can't run on that team as efficiently as you can most other teams on Alabama's schedule. So they're going to have to throw the ball. I think Bryce Young has been an incredible decision maker this season. Uh, he's, he's had very limited turnovers. He doesn't make any bad plays. He's kind of get that veteran savvy. He throws the ball away. Uh, as opposed to taking a sack, he's starting to run the ball more. I think we're going to see a huge performance by him in two weeks uh, against Georgia. And I think that is going to seal the deal. I think Stroud's going to have a great weekend this weekend. But uh, against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, I think he's going to struggle a little bit just because that defense is so good. And uh, I think Bryce is going to win it just based off of what he's going to do against Georgia in two weeks.
2: Mr. Waxman, why is CJ Stroud going to be the man who's going to hoist the hardware
3: over Bryce Young? Well, everything that Sully said is, um, is actually correct. Uh, Bryce Young is 18-0 and zero in terms of touchdowns and interceptions uh, since the Texas AM and game. But that's why I want to focus on everyone talks about having a Heisman moment or a Heisman game. Um, obviously, Uh, Young was very good over the weekend, throwing for over 500 yards and five touchdowns. But against his best passing defense competition, which is Texas A&M, ranked sixth in the country, he only completed 58.3%. And he he had his lowest yards per attempt of the year at 7.7 against the best defense that he faced. So uh, while I don't necessarily know that C.J. Stroud has really had a moment either, Um, For comparison's sake, in the Buckeyes game against Penn State, who is their best pass defense, which is ranked seventh, um, CJ completed almost 68% and had a 9.0 yards per attempt. Now, they won the game um, by nine points. Whereas Bryce Young, where Alabama lost to Texas A&M, he certainly wasn't the reason they lost, but it was their biggest game of the year in terms of stout defense. And he looked a little bit mortal. It might be the only time he's looked mortal this year. And for CJ Stroud, I'm giving the first three games a wash because we know that he had an injured shoulder. Since then, he has not completed less than 65% of his passes. And he's only thrown two interceptions while throwing 28 touchdowns. So the Buckeyes offense is one of the best of the year. Certainly he is a big part of it and the receivers are a big part of it and that may hamper him. But when we've seen Kyle McCord come in, that offense did not look as efficient the week that Kyle McCord played. So I think there's something to be said for Stroud and his performance, considering he had never thrown a pass coming into a college game. So I think he puts up decent numbers against Michigan this week. I think he puts up decent numbers against Wisconsin. And I think that it will be just enough. It is a two-man race. And I think it's going to be a close race, but especially if Ohio State wins and Alabama loses in their conference championship, that may be what tips the balance in favor of CJ Stroud. I
2: have to defer to Sully just on this point. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with him over you, Wax, but Recency bias is a huge thing in poll voters and in also Heisman voters. And if Alabama and Bryce Young defeat the mighty Georgia Bulldogs by whatever margin, and Bryce Young throws one interception or less, completes at least 60% of his passes, and they win – I think that regardless of what C.J. Stroud does against a good Wisconsin defense, assuming that they play in the Big Ten championship, so that's one thing. Stroud needs to be a Wisconsin Badger fan this weekend because it's not going to look nearly as good for his resume if they have to play against Minnesota or Iowa, even though Iowa has a pretty good defense. That Wisconsin defense is best of the best in the North. So, But even with that, I think knocking off the – quote-unquote unbeatable Georgia Bulldogs is going to look a little bit better in recency bias mind of these Heisman voters. So just something to think about. I'm not saying that that's the way it's going to be, uh, but that would be the way that I lean based on that. So let's get into more of these rivalries. So we talked about the Iron Bowl, Auburn, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. Then of course, there's all the big games with the championships and the bowl games, but rivalry week is my favorite week of the season. I love seeing these teams. So WAX. You're going to try and stump us with some rivalry questions. Hit us up with this trivia, and let's see how well Mr. Sullivan and I know our college football rivalries.
3: Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of easy ones, maybe a sort of difficult one, and then maybe one, possibly two, depending on how you've done, that are pretty difficult. So okay. um, we'll start out with, uh, with the, early, with the uh, easy one. BYU and Utah play in a game that is called? The Holy War. Yes. Um, One of my favorites, the trophy in the Indiana-Purdue game is...
2: Sully, I know this, but I'm going to give you first dibs.
1: Is this that uh, two-bit chair trophy?
2: No, this would be the old oaken bucket.
3: There you go. That is also correct. And I've actually seen the bucket and I wanted to spit into it, but I did not. (laughs) Um, All right. Now we'll get into one that's a little bit off the radar, but still a very intense game. Um, Arizona and Arizona State. They play for what? This would be the Territorial Cup. Yes, it would. Okay, so you've gotten those. Now we get into a little bit more, um, I guess, under the radar sort of things. Sure. We know that Oregon and Oregon State play in the Civil War. But there is a trophy that goes with this game.
2: I just learned about this last year. Sully, uh, do you got guesses for us?
1: No, I've got no clue.
2: This is the Platypus Trophy, which I think is one of the coolest named trophies in
3: all of college football rivalries. It definitely is. I love that. And then my favorite probably among all of the G5 rivalries, Middle Tennessee State and Western Kentucky. They play in a game that is called. Uh, I don't remember the
2: number, but I want to say it's like a hundred miles of hatred or hate something about something miles of
3: hate. It is a hundred. That is correct. Okay. Not to be confused with Georgia, Georgia tech's clean old fashioned hate, right? There's a lot of hating going on and this is holiday time and we're supposed to be benevolent toward each other. So that, that was very good. Um, I was going to use, Dartmouth, New Hampshire, which is off of the radar, which is the Granite Bowl. Okay, yeah, I,
2: I wouldn't get that one.
3: Or Central Arkansas and McNeese State. They play in the Red Beans and Rice Bowl, and they play for a 50-pound iron pot. So yes. next time you go to Central Arkansas and McNeese, go check out the 50-pound pot. See if you've got some red beans and rice in it.
2: Not to be confused with TCU and SMU's Iron Skillet, usually played toward the beginning of the season. Awesome
3: stuff. Or the the Golden Boot, or the Golden Boot of Arkansas LSU, which can stir the things in the skillet.
2: Absolutely. And then there's also the Bronze Boot for Colorado State, Wyoming. But I could go off on this all night. This is my wheelhouse. I love Rivalry Week, like we talked about at the beginning. So let's move on to segment two. This is conference calls. Sully, Wax and I are going to give you about two minutes each on all the Power 5 conferences and then also some of the good stories and questions in the group of five. So we're going to start with you, Mr. Waxman. Give us what's going on in the Big Ten, your thoughts in that conference.
3: Well, it brings me back to my childhood. It's Buckeyes and Wolverines for a CFP berth. Back in the old days, it would be for the Big Ten, which... Usually meant you were in the hunt for the national championship. It may not be a Big Ten title because they've got a championship game uh, next week, but it certainly feels like the Big Two, Little Eight. Yes, you've got Wisconsin, who's good, and you've got Iowa, who's good, but no one really thinks that they are championship teams. So this is really all the marbles are at stake this weekend in Ann Arbor, and it's it's really these are some of my favorite games I've witnessed like 15 of them in person and I've seen the last uh, eight or so on TV and I still get goosebumps, even though I'm on the television, uh, that it's on the television when this game um, gets going. So it certainly is a lot of fun. And as you said, they're still waiting to see who the opponent would be for one of those two teams out of the West. My money is on Wisconsin, but I know that Iowa and Minnesota each have a shot, but they need help. Right. So um, so I think m- just about every eye in the Big Ten is going to be focused on Ann Arbor around noon on Saturday. And I, for one, cannot wait. It's new, but it's also old based on the stakes.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's go to the SEC, Sully. Uh, talk about Bama having a chance to beat Georgia.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm actually going to call an audible here, Chap. And and I get two conferences, the SEC and the ACC. And I'm going to go through both of them here uh, because I know we're up against a break. You know, this weekend, there's only one uh, ranked rivalry game with SEC teams. It's Ole Miss and Mississippi State. But the games that I'm really looking forward to, uh, the rivalry games, Florida State against Florida. Both teams are five and six. The winner of that game goes to a bowl. The loser is out of the postseason. So that game has always had high stakes could you picture any more higher stakes than knocking your opponent, your hated rival guys you played high school against knocking them out of the bowl season? Right. I mean, you can't get any bigger than that. Um, and then Clemson against South Carolina. That game is very intriguing for many reasons, obviously because of the rivalry South Carolina, is six and five, they have a chance to go seven and five on the season. I mean, how big is that? And this is probably their best chance of, of hanging with Clemson uh in, in a long recent while Clemson's eight and three, they looked really good against Wake last week. Interesting to see if, they can carry it over. Um, Dabo has never really coached these guys without uh, CFP on the line. So it's going to be interesting to see how these guys get up for, you know, a lot of these seniors or juniors. It might be their last game. They might not be going bowling. So there's a lot in the line here for both teams. So I'm looking forward to those SEC, ACC matchups. But figured I'd throw them all into one group since uh, they're both relevant.
2: Yeah, and there's there's quite a few SEC, ACC matchups this weekend. So you talked about those two uh, Georgia plays Georgia Tech in the rivalry that Wax mentioned. Uh, Williams-Brice Stadium is going to be rocking in Columbia, South Carolina. Kerncraft will be going full blast. So I'm kind of pulling for Shane Beamer and you know his chances at possibly being named coach of the year. I think it's a great story. Good to see South Carolina doing some good things there. And it's always good to see a little bit of uh, people at the top getting knocked down a little bit no ill will against Clemson, but it is kind of good to see a little bit more parody this season, even though it means that the ACC is slightly down. Uh, I'm going to talk quickly about PAC 12. So PAC 12, sorry, you had your shot and you blew it. So maybe next year is, is when we can start to get excited. So you look at Oregon, all they had to do was beat Utah, which was a tall task. And not only did they lose, they got stomped by the Utes, uh, Utah got their their stubbing early in the year so losing those three games in the first two months which included on the I mean all of them around the road but that included San Diego State BYU who both of them are in the top 20 so not too shabby and both those losses came by a total of 11 but then you go and you lose to Oregon State on the road by eight points granted Oregon State is a team that could very well be playing for the Pac-12 championship against these Utah Utes it's, it's left to be seen. We'll talk about that in our pick segment. But the Pac-12, they were on an uphill climb to begin with, and, and they really didn't take care of business the way that they could have and should have this past weekend. So, uh, swing and a miss for the Conference of Champions. Let's go to the Big 12, Wax. There's a big game in Bedlam this weekend between the Sooners and the Cowboys.
3: Yes, I love it when Bedlam has high stakes and doesn't get much bigger than this. Um, Oklahoma State they've kind of been laying in the weeds all season. No one really talked about them because they didn't have a flashy offense. They were defense oriented. And as we know, points is what gets eyes on TVs and what gets people talking, but their offense has actually gotten better the last few weeks. But this defense that Jim Knowles has put together is right up there with Wisconsin and Georgia. I mean, they are really making teams work and if you want to talk about a team that's had to work for everything that it's gotten the Oklahoma offense, I think a lot of people thought that Oklahoma was just going to cruise right into the CFP, maybe have a couple of challenging games, but that has been the model of dysfunction this year. And it's not something you would expect from Lincoln Riley. So this is going to be, really fascinating to see if the offense which has not been able to get out of its way all year can finally put it together against easily the best defensive team that they're going to see all season and this might be one of Mike Gundy's best coaching jobs because he has almost no stars on offense and they still find ways to win games so I'm really looking forward to that I'm also looking forward to and this will be in my betting segment later um how Texas finishes the season against Kansas state, who is not a pushover team is Sark going to be just on the brink of 500 with five wins, or is that going to be a four and seven year and really look a lot worse. So I'm watching that one too.
2: Yeah. And not only four and seven, but ending the year with what five consecutive losses potentially uh, after starting off four and two and scoring on the first play against Oklahoma in the red river rivalry, a game that looked like it could have been a blowout one way, but again, Texas just couldn't pull it together for that one. Uh, we're going to end here with group of five. So Cincinnati's back, gentlemen. I, I I am convinced now that this is a Cincinnati team that deserves to be in the college football playoff if they win out. I don't care what else happens. I don't care what shakes down. Cincinnati was a field goal away from knocking off Georgia last season. They carried over that momentum this year. And I know people talk about some some close games. Look, they've only had one one touchdown game so their closest margin of victory is seven points they have their second closest margin of victory is eight points everything else has been a two score victory for the Bearcats they've won the games that are in front of them and if you want to compare they beat Tulsa uh, close okay that was the seven point game and and it looks like maybe they should have lost it at the end but Ohio State this outstanding juggernaut of an offensive of Ohio State. They only led the Golden Hurricane 27-20 late in the fourth quarter. They ended up winning by 21 points because of a late touchdown and then a pick six, which basically was running out the clock at that point in, in desperation for Tulsa. Uh, they beat a Tulane team by – uh double digits whereas Oklahoma who some people feel if they went out should be in the college football playoff maybe over Cincinnati they beat the Tulane Green Wave by five points at home whereas Cincy had to go on the road and do it uh they've controlled games they the only two games where they have not been on the plus side of win probability is Indiana they were minus minus 80 percent so Indiana at one point in the first half looked like they had an 80 percent chance of winning but Cincinnati, like good teams do, they came out, they made adjustments, and they stomped them in the second half. And then Notre Dame. Notre Dame only really controlled that game for the first quarter. And then early in the second, Cincinnati took over, and they had the win probability from there on out. They really had no uh, you know, questionable moment from the second quarter on in that game out in South Bend, mind you. They've got a top seven – ranking in pass efficiency defense, scoring defense, total defense, red zone defense. They also have the 12th best most pass efficient offense and the number eight scoring offense. They're averaging 40 points a game. So when you talk about style points, when you talk about impressive on both sides of the ball, they're only giving up 16 points a game. Their pass defense is lights out. They've got four quality candidates who could be All-Americans in some level, first, second, or third team in their secondary They've got a good run game. Desmond Ritter is a winner at quarterback. So at this point, unless they lose against ECU this weekend, or unless they lose in the AAC championship against a good Houston team, there is no way anybody can convince me that the Cincinnati Bearcats don't belong in the CFP. And giving some last final love for a group of five, UTSA, look, they're 10-0, they look really good, congratulations, but five of their wins this year, gentlemen, are by one score and that's against the 130th-ranked schedule in the country. They, they don't have a top 25 offense or defense. They've got some decent stars on the offensive side of the ball, but this is a team that's going to have their hands full, whether they play Western Kentucky or Marshall. That game this weekend will decide who they the Roadrunners host in the Alamo Dome for the Conference USA Championship. But even still, regardless of what team it is, it's not going to be strong enough. And I I think UTSA would be hard-pressed to finish top 15. Although it's a potentially great season, their bowl prediction doesn't look any better than the Independence Bowl against BYU, which I would love to see, or the Frisco Bowl against San Diego State, or the Birmingham Bowl against SMU. So we're up against a break here. When we come back to College Football Impact, we're going to get into our Cover 4 segment, and then we'll give you our coveted picks at the end. This is College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. Welcome back, college football fans. You are listening to College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. I'm Chappie. I'm with Wax and Sully, my co-host, as always. Wouldn't want it any other way. And we are into our next segment, Cover 4. Cover 4. I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. I will ask our college football minds, Mr. Waxman, Mr. Sullivan, four hard-hitting questions. Now, this one in the theme of Thanksgiving, it's going to be a little bit college football, but also a little bit of that coveted food we were talking about, my favorite meal ever. Honestly, I don't know why people don't have uh, this Thanksgiving meal more frequently. I need to talk to the people in my family to get that going. So let's start with question number one. It is rivalry weekend. So in your minds, gentlemen, about a minute each, What are the top two rivalries in college football today that are currently being played on a regular
3: rotation basis? Wax, let's start with you. Top two rivalries. Um, Well, one, I'm not sure about, I think it's a big 10 game that may be going on this weekend that I have (laughs) already. Yeah. I'll have to check the schedule. I, Um, I don't remember anything popping up. So I would say certainly from a history standpoint and how much has been on the line, certainly Ohio state, Michigan is up there. And, um, In in deferring to Mr. Sullivan, I will also say um, Alabama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl, narrowly over Army-Navy, only because the stakes are not super high anymore for Army-Navy. It's still one of my favorite games, but there's not usually a whole lot riding other than pride. So because I want some big circumstances around the game, I'm going to say OSU-Michigan, and I'm going to say the Iron Bowl.
1: Very good. Mr. Sullivan, let's go to you. Yeah, you know what, Wax, I think you're a little off on, uh, on Army-Navy. That game has so much at stake, way more than what the CFP means, way more than what any other football game means, just the pride that those guys take in, in playing each other. Uh, there's a reason why year-round Army cares about one game and one game only, and uh, you, you go through their facilities everywhere it says beat Navy. doesn't matter if they're playing uh, Marshall or if they're playing Oklahoma. They're focused on beating Navy and vice versa uh, for, for Navy and Army. So that game is, is by far the biggest rivalry. I would say they're all in sports. Uh, and that's coming from a Red Sox fan who uh, who really despises anything to do with the Yankees. But Army-Navy <laughs> is definitely number one. And uh, a little local bias here, but uh, Harvard and Yale, uh, to me, comes in at, at a, a pretty good number two. That's, uh, that's a game that I've attended in person a few times. Uh, my first college football game was at Harvard. It was a Harvard-Yale game, and that's really what kind of got me hooked on college football. I had been to some Patriots games before, but sitting there and hearing – uh, the fans on Harvard, just how much they really despised Yale. It got me all fired up. And, uh, you know, I would say close third would be would be the game this weekend. But Army, Navy, number one, far and away. Number two, Harvard, Yale. Yeah,
2: and I, I watched the replay of the Harvard-Yale game. Love that. I would love to attend that in person. I might have to hit you up uh, for a place to stay out there, Sully, and a place to party. So, But I'm going to go with Army, Navy, far and away from me. On my bucket list, my college football bucket list, not only is to attend the game, but I would love to see a top 10 matchup between these two schools in my active lifetime. I I block out everything. That's a day that people know when Army, Navy's on, I'm, I'm unavailable. Uh, don't call me. Don't ask me to do anything. That's what I'm doing. I love that rivalry. I love the game. I love how it's separated and isolated so that way the whole nation can watch it. So that's far and away number one for me as well. And number two, I actually do like the Red River rivalry. Now, having lived in Texas, I really don't have any ties to the University of Texas. I was more an Aggie fan growing up. But I love the hatred between the Horns and the Sooners. And any game where you have a team that, no matter they're playing that team or not, I mean, watching Oklahoma against Iowa State this past weekend, fans and players in celebration were putting the Horns down. Now, nowhere else do you see that kind of gesture with any of the rivalry when those two teams aren't even playing so to me that kind of goes into it and thankfully in the last 20 years we've seen some pretty big matchups some ranked matchups unfortunately for texas fans and for texas as a program that has kind of been the the temple of doom for them because they've kind of sputtered out of control after that game and it's been a a contest that ou has owned right now but uh, certainly one of my favorites I also like the battle for the axe, the Egg Bowl. I love that it's being played on Thanksgiving again this year, so I'm fired up for that on Thursday. And then, yeah, it doesn't get better than Michigan or Ohio State in terms of the Big Ten, just the hatred on both sides. True story, being from Michigan and not being a Michigan fan, I was coming back from Penn State one year on the Michigan-Ohio State weekend, and I was going a little bit over the speed limit, got pulled over, and the police officer actually told me, if you weren't from Michigan, I'd let you go but that was the last year that Michigan actually beat Ohio State. And he said, because I'm a Buckeye fan, I hate Michigan. I don't like the fact that you're in our state right now going over the speed limit. So he wrote me the ticket. And, you know, I said, touche, that that's the power of college
3: football. So um, they definitely do that. I, I, there were, we had heard stories in the press box about a Michigan guy saying he did it one year, the first year he was covering the game. He was so excited to get to Columbus that he probably drove about 65 or 70 miles an hour before that was a speed limit. He got stopped just as he crossed into Toledo. The next time he said, I had cruise control set on 55. I was yep. not going mile over because I knew what was going to happen. So, Yes, sir. Chappie's lying. He's not lying.
2: (laughs) I I even have a witness who can attest to it. All right, question two in cover four. What is a rivalry game that you wish that they would bring back? And I'm going to start us off, and I'm going to stay in the future SEC. Fortunately, with Texas going to SEC, the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry will come back. I hated the day that it got put out. And there's politics on both sides. One side says that they wanted it, others and accuse the other side of not wanting it, and then it goes back and forth. But that game is a tradition in my family and in my experience of college football, the Aggies and the Longhorns. You talk about two fan bases that really don't like each other. It's right there. I had the privilege of attending that game in College Station, going to Kyle Field where they don't allow you to sit down, and and the yell leaders, and it was an awesome atmosphere and to see that that game was taken away, that's one that they definitely needed to bring back. And I'm glad that it's coming back. And then I'll give you my consolation after I hear from you too, but there's another game that um, we saw recently and I would love to see this come back, but I don't want to steal your thunder. So Sully, let's go to you. What's a rivalry game that you want to see brought back on a regular basis?
1: You know what? I'd really like to see Miami and Florida play a lot more. Uh, We did get to see it last year or or maybe it was two years ago. We got to see it. Uh, But this is a game that used to happen Traditionally, every year. And, uh, and for one reason or another, probably because of different circumstances, it stopped. Um, but you know what? You, you look at the game this weekend with Florida and Florida State, just how much is on the line. Uh, you know, imagine if, if you were able to get Florida-Miami yearly. Uh, two teams that really pride themselves on being upper echelon, on, on having you know, true athletes. Again, same recruiting footprint, same, same high schools you're going into. It's a big deal when you're, uh, when you're a head coach at either one of those schools so you can land a, a coveted commit in the state of Florida because it means you beat not only one, but two of your rivals. But I really wish that they could get the Florida cut back, and and I know it's kind of a rotating schedule, but kind of like the Commanders and Chief Trophy, where they all play each other every year. Really cool if Miami, Florida, and Florida State, um, you know, got to go in some kind of uh, tournament every year and and play both both teams as they're out of conference schedule, and uh, and maybe even throw uh, UCF in the mix or or try to find another way to make it happen. But that's really what they need to do for for the sake of football in Florida, because right now. Uh, neither one of those three teams, uh, they could all finish with six wins, or actually two of them could finish with six wins, which is pretty embarrassing considering uh, that only two of those three are going to make a bowl game. But it would be, uh, be a lot more fun, a lot more exciting in the state of Florida if you were able to get those three in the mix like that.
2: And if you could get Florida, I mean, Florida right now, Florida fans might be thinking, hell, we'll, we'll go to the ACC so we can make that happen and get out of the East right now, especially with the way things have been trending downward for the Gators in this last year, even though – they played Bama close in the SEC Championship last year, so I, I agree with
3: that one. Wax, what's a game that you'd like to see brought back on a regular basis? Um, I have two. I'm going to lean on one, but first I'm going to ask you, where have you not lived? I mean, you've <laughs> Northwestern, A&M, Penn State, Central Michigan. I mean, you've been all. You've been a regular globetrotter. It's it, it's amazing. I aspire to be you in terms of of, of that particular aspect as far as a rivalry i wish they bring back when i heard in 2011 that the backyard brawl was stopping oh, oh man was i heart and and yeah they're different states west virginia and pennsylvania are different states but the makeup of that rivalry the fan base same sort of fans yeah. valley steel um, somewhat disadvantaged, and they always th- they found similarities. But then they said, "You know what? We just want to knock these guys into the dirt." And the la- four of the last five games were decided by four points or less. These were always close. My favorite was, of course, two thousand seven, when Rich yep. Rod had a chance to make the make the uh, the, the BCS. And all they had to do was beat Pitt, and they had the game in control most of the way, and they lost thirteen to nine. And believe me, people in Columbus were happy, even though they really didn't have much of an interest in either team. They just wanted to see Rich Rod in misery because of uh, because of Michigan. So, yeah. so that is one. It was always hard hitting. Always loved the the, the the tough running backs, Amos Zaraway, Kervin Richards, some of these guys. It, it was just a regular Midwestern hard-hitting type of game that yep. I always look forward to, and I hope they can figure out something to bring that one back.
2: I agree. That's one I had on my list. The other one I had is OU Nebraska. Um, yes. Again, a game name. played kind of around this time. I would love to see that back on a regular basis. I know that we saw him this year. We're going to see him again next year uh, in Lincoln, which is good to see, but uh, I I would love to see that on a regular basis, even if it's a non-conference that they play earlier in the year, because they're not in the same conference currently. I still would love to see that because those two fan bases, um, you know, they still consider that other school, one of their rivals. Good stuff, gentlemen. Question three, a moment in your college football experience that you have been most thankful for, maybe something personal, a good story, Anecdote that we can give to our listeners. Sully, let's start or I'm sorry, Wax, let's start with you. What's what's a college football moment you're thankful
3: for? Probably the first game that I attended, which was November 2nd, 1976. Ohio State played Illinois. It was a pretty nondescript game. The reason I remember it is twofold. One, it was the first game I attended with my dad. It was about a month before my 10th birthday. And second, the PA announcer that day. You could have heard a pin drop. He was announcing scores from around the Big Ten, and he said, and finally, from West Lafayette, Purdue 16, Michigan 14. You nice. could have heard that whole stadium exploded. Illinois was, was so far in the background wow. after that score was announced. There were people probably jumping around and hugging each other for like two minutes after they heard that the uh, Boilermakers had knocked off Michigan. So I distinctly remember – oh, and I also got Nick Bonamici's autograph after the game. I just cool. kind of walked up to him, and I all I knew was his number, and I called him Mr. Nick, and he thought that was funny, so he autographed my program.
1: Awesome. What about you, Sully? Yeah, you know, I've, I've uh, been fortunate to see some pretty cool stadiums. I've been to Army, which uh, is definitely by far – uh, if you've never been there, it's definitely the the number one stadium to go to. Just that atmosphere with all the cadets and and everything they put into the pride there is uh, second to none. Kind of going along the themes that uh that Wax uh, brought up, we were going to the game with his father. Uh, my father and I had a sports bucket list, and uh, one of them was to go to a a big time college football stadium. And we had a customer out in uh, Columbus who uh, invited us out for a Buckeyes game. And uh, you know they they beat um, one of the Florida schools, one of the minor Florida schools, the international maybe. Uh, it was like 35 nothing at halftime, but just uh, being able to experience that first big college football year with my father, and uh, you know he, he passed away unexpectedly a year later, so we got to check that off the bucket list, and uh, and that's nice. you know this is really what's so special about this sport is uh, you know it's the wins and losses obviously are great, but it's the memories you make watching them is is really what makes college football so special. So for Wax and I to both have our uh, most thankful memory to be with our father, that's uh, that's pretty cool and. You know, now being a new father myself and having a six-month-old, that's something that I look forward to. And uh, now now the pressure is on. I'm going to have to, like, really carefully pick which is the first game I bring him to because I can't just yep. bring him to, like, you know, BC and, and, uh, and Brown, right? It's yeah. going uh, <laughs> to be a good game. Right. Well, I'm going to follow suit. My favorite
2: college football moment I'm most thankful for is 2018 Northwestern in Michigan State. I went to I went with my dad and my, uh, my next youngest brother, uh, closest in age to me. He is a Michigan State fan so we we planned that ahead and we were treated to one of the most exciting games i've ever seen in person or uh, otherwise and it went to triple overtime and that was of course the year that northwestern won the west division after starting the season i think 1 and 3 1 and 4 they lost to akron and then they reeled off a number of victories they were undefeated in the big 10 west and they won in triple overtime the fans stormed the field it was it was absolutely memorable but more so because I got to spend it with two people I'm really close to. And I also uh, throw in my brother, uh, Chris, in the mix as well. I had the fortune of going to Notre Dame Stadium for the first time this year. We went when they played USC. He's a big-time Notre Dame fan, so that was special as well. So I've been fortunate to be able to to share college football moments with both my brothers and my dad. Um, And and fortunately, we're all close, and those are the things that are going to last with us no matter what's going on in the world. So awesome, awesome stuff. Now let's talk food. Okay, we started at the beginning. And and Sully, we are going to uh, we're going to start with you because I know that you want to attack wax on, on some of his stuff. Give us your favorite food on the Thanksgiving table. So one thing if you could only eat one thing, what is it that you love most? And what do you think is the most overrated on traditional Thanksgiving menus?
1: well yeah wax uh don't don't sharpen your axe on me just yet because i'm not going (laughs) to say the pumpkin pie is the most overrated uh because i don't really ever have that at my thanksgiving table so uh you know what i I think is is really strange which for some reason a lot of people in my family put at the table no one ever eats our pearl onions right i don't understand why they're ever at the table no one ever eats them (laughs) usually the youngest kids in the family always plays bets with each other and on who will actually eat one for 20 bucks so maybe it's for comic (laughs) value but there's no reason to ever have a a pearl onion at your Thanksgiving table, um, but listen, I'm Irish. Uh, I love Thanksgiving, but uh, the mashed potatoes it does it all for me. You know, you can you can mix it with your turkey, you can put the gravy on it, you can mix it with your corn, you can you know mix it with your stuffing. It's just uh, it's it's the blender of all tastes. You can mix it with anything, and it just gives that better texture, that better feel. Uh, so smashed potatoes for me.
2: I'm going to say, if, if it's just generally talking, my favorite food, hands down, is turkey. And I'm going to include gravy with that because I do like a good moist bird. But if if I have the option of this, my grandma Giffels' famous stuffing, it is hands down the best. I don't know exactly what she does. I don't know if I want to know. I, I love the mystery. It is delicious. It's something that I make sure that I will literally push family members down to get seconds if it's down between me Or them, and for most overrated sweet potatoes or yams, that always comes up. I've never liked it. I never want it. And and if if we go a Thanksgiving without seeing that on the table, I am totally fine by that. And really, just dessert in general. I'm somebody I'd rather fill up with the main course because that's the good stuff. Why waste calories on chocolate and sugars that are really not going to do you much good? So uh, yeah, most overrated sweet potatoes or really any kind of dessert. Now, wax. Let's let's hear you defend your sweet potato pie or your pumpkin pie I should say or is there something else you want to throw out there
3: well i'm going to start with most overrated first i know that it's a staple of the holidays i have absolutely no use or time for cranberries either in sauce <laughs> or a cranberry roll laid out on the plate i right. know a ton of people put it as a little garnish on the side of their plate you can have that all day i'm not I'll touching th- a close second is green bean casserole i don't like <laughs> casseroles of any kind So those two things are going to get a hard pass from me. I'm with you. I do really like turkey. Um, I can do with or without gravy because when we have turkey, whoever's making it, whether it's us or us going to someone's house, um, it turns out to be incredibly juicy, even the white meat. So I do like turkey, but I'm going to be in Sully's camp. I love me some mashed potatoes put just a little bit of butter on them, let them melt in while they're hot, and then just a pinch of salt. And I can just sit and eat them out of the bowl. Every, everyone hates when I do that because then say, well, you've touched everything. It's like, look, it was just a spoonful. You can have some or make a second helping. They're easy to make. So a, a good <laughs> bowl of mashed potatoes are, is going to be gone in about 30 seconds with me. So I love me some mashed potatoes.
1: Hold on, Chappie. So, so Wax and I will disagree about who's going to win the Heisman. We'll disagree who's going to win the SEC. But we agree on the mashed potatoes. You know, isn't that just life?
2: It's it's a bonding moment. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. It's bringing people together. And if it's mashed potatoes that does that, then then God bless us, everyone.
1: Hey, you know what? If uh, Thanksgiving can bring the Pugman Indians together, it can bring a uh, it can bring an eagle and a Buckeye together too. I guess. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, let's get
2: to the segment that that gives us the most clicks, that, that gives you your fix, and that is our pick segment. Win, win. We are going to break down five games from this upcoming weekend, the ones that you should pay close attention to, and if you want to drop some coin on it, feel free. Our standings so far through 12 weeks of play. We've got Chappie right now at 41 and 29, 59% only went two and four last week. So I had a rough week uh, hoping to rebound from that. Just a one game lead over Mr. Waxman 40 and 32, 56% on the season. Wax went three and three to top all three of us last week. And then Sully trying to uh, make a comeback 28 and 38, 42% like me two and four last week. And we know that Sully is trying to make up ground, especially with those CFI bucks and Sully, Wax and I are going to have to talk off air and figure out if if we can allow you to go into any more kind of debt, but maybe you can come up for or make up for it this weekend. So let's start with the Egg Bowl on Thursday night, 730. Currently number eight Ole Miss against 25th ranked Mississippi State. The Bulldogs are a one point favorite. Let's start with you, Wax. Who do you like in the
3: Egg Bowl? Um, well, who, just who do, who do I like, the Egg Bowl? I, I'm like you. I, I love this game. The fact that it's being played again on Thanksgiving is great. Uh, I think, what, the last time it was played, we saw a guy peeing in the end zone on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so that is just going to be an indelible memory for me. Right. Um, for this one, for some reason, I really like the way Will Rogers has been playing. Yep. And I think that this is secondary has shown that it can be susceptible to a pretty high-powered passing attack. So I'm going to take – I mean, it's a point. Yeah, basically they just have to win the game. But here's something to chew on as a home favorite. And I know it doesn't happen all that often. But when they do it, they rise to the occasion. Uh, Mississippi State in the last 10 years is 27-18 and 18 against the spread as a home favorite. So I'm going to just lay the, the, the small point and take Mike Leach against Lane Kiffin. For, and I'm going to put 30 bucks on this one too.
1: All right, Sully, where do you lie on the Egg Bowl? Well, you know, uh, I'm going to put $50 on it, 50 B.O.B. bucks, but I'm going to go with Ole Miss. Uh, you know what? This is uh, Matt Corral has already announced this is, uh, this is it. This is his last go around here for uh, for him with the Rebels. He's going to go to the NFL Draft. So, you know what? This is this is his last hurrah. It's his last Egg Bowl, which is obviously important, but it's his last trip around with the team. I mean, let's face it, chances of him playing in the bowl game, I would say probably 50-50 at this point. Uh, I know the program means a lot to him, but uh, it, when he gets an agent and the agent tells him that it could mean a lot less if, uh, if he ends up getting hurt, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. So if it's his last game, uh, I'm sure him and, uh, and Lane Kiffin have already talked about it. I'm sure that they're drawing up some special plays right now as his final showcase as a college athlete for the Pro Scouts. Uh, chances of him being the first overall quarterback off the board are pretty good. So I think this is a final showcase, and I think, it's, uh, they, I think they win big in this one. So I'm putting 50 on it
2: and this could be Lane Kiffin's last Egg Bowl. There's rumors that he's got interest in Florida and LSU. It wouldn't surprise me to see him go back to the Sunshine State, where he enjoyed some time at FAU, and you know he's got a home out there, grew up in Tampa with his dad being the D.C. for uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I like Ole Miss as well. Conventional wisdom might suggest that this could be a shootout. I actually like the under in this, because it's a rivalry game. It's been back and forth. It's you know, four and four since 2013, and there's been a two and two home away split for both teams, so it's really about as even as it can get, literally. Six of the last eight have been decided by um, seven points or more, though, so it really doesn't... It, it, I misspoke there. It, it hasn't been as close as we thought, so the the winner has won by more than a touchdown in six of the last eight, and I think that's going to be all Miss in this one. I just think that, yeah, Matt Corral's going to put us all into it, and Lane Kiffin wants this one. Mike Leach is a good coach and, and Will Rogers will keep them in it. So I do think it will be close, but little point here. This could be a good resume or interview game for Mississippi State D coordinator, Zach Arnett, maybe even for the Troy job. He's one of the more underrated coordinators in the country. Uh, and if he can shut down this lane train offense, then he certainly will, will create bigger accolades and, and be ready to go. So give me, give me Ole Miss with 20 B.O.B. bucks on this one to get the point and take it. All right, next one. Let's go to Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And we're going to call this the Chaffee Bowl because it's Eastern Michigan against Central Michigan playing for second place in the MAC West. NIU already wrapped it up last week. Now, I attended Central Michigan, got my master's degree from Eastern. I like the Chippewas in this one, though. Jim McElwain has proved that his offense is humming. Lou Nichols is a dynamite running back. He leads the nation in total rushing yards. And then... Uh, Khalil Pimpleton and Ja'Cory Sullivan with inexplicably Daniel and I still can't figure out why he's doing as well as he is but he is for CMU and the fact that it's played at Kelly Short Stadium at noon on a Friday I don't know that the Eagles will be ready for that one just yet so give me the Chippewas fire up, lay in the eight and take in that one. Wax let's go to you
3: you kind of stole my thunder. I was going to show you that I knew names of Central Michigan guys. I will say Jim McElwain, I know when he came from Florida, a lot of people said, why are you hiring this guy? He's a perfect G5 level coach. Um, I I think that what he's really done with their offense, um, I love Lou Nichols. I'm probably putting him on one unit of my All-American team. He's a workhorse. Um, He's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and believe me, I think Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan, when he came in there, that was a dumpster fire, that he's got them competitive. We told you that he is a very good coach. But I'm with you. I think that Central being at home with an early game on a Friday is going to be more jazzed up. It'll be their senior day. And I think Central wins by about probably 10 or 12 points. So give me the chips.
1: Sully. Well, I'm taking uh, – I'm following your guys' lead here for three reasons. One, it's tough to turn down eight points in, uh, in a close patch like this. Two, there's a guy named Sullivan who seems like he's one of the stars on the team. <laughs> and uh, three, Chappie's going with them, so that's good enough for me in this one. Since you know both teams uh, fired up, give me the uh, yeah. I'm I'm I'm, I'm right with you guys. You know what? I, I almost didn't just because I don't want to jinx you guys because you call <laughs> call this the expert segment when obviously I'm not an expert when you look at my record. But uh, you know what? I'm following the experts on this because one thing I've learned is when you don't know the answer, you got to find an expert. Uh, so you're the expert on this one. So I'm riding with you.
2: Beautiful. Fire up chips. Let's go to that town in uh, southwest Michigan where the number six Wolverines are getting eight points against the number two Ohio State Buckeyes, a team that some have made the argument might be even better than Georgia because of their style of offense. Debatable. But let's start with you, Wax, because you are a native of Columbus you have more maybe emotionally invested in this game than, than Sully and I. What do you like between the Buckeyes and the Wolverines?
3: I really have not been worried about this game for years just because of the futility that Jim Harbaugh has had and the mastery that Urban Meyer and Ryan Day had. Even in the 2017 game when JT Barrett got hurt, we didn't know a lot about Dwayne Haskins, but I said, you know what? They're going to find a way to win. This is the first time that I've had a few reservations just because Michigan does look like an actual team this year. And everyone talks about their defense, but their offense has actually been pretty efficient. They're ninth in the country in offensive points per drive. Now, Ohio State is far and away first, but I think if you ask people, is Michigan run by their offense or their defense, they'd say the defense. The offense is not very bad. I worry a little bit about Ohio State being able to block two guys it's Aiden Hutchinson has been great but David Ajabo has really kind of flown under the radar if it was just one guy like say a Chase Young and you could double team or you could help with a a chipping tight end I'd be thrilled and I'd be taking OSU all day but you got to worry about two guys and that could throw CJ Stroud off just enough to where this is a close game I'd like it to be more like 10 but you know what I think it stays touchdown game OSU wins by six, so I'm taking the Wolverines with the points, $20 on the Wolverines. And it, it pains me to do it, but I got to kind of not go with my heart because that's how you end up losing money.
2: That's right. The head always uh, trumps the heart in the in the world of sports predictions and certainly when you're, when you're talking point. Um, it's simple for me for Michigan. They have to run the ball. They have to keep OSU off the field. So that means you go for it on third down, you go for it on fourth down. I don't care where it's at on the field you got to take these risks. And if it pays off, that's going to keep that uh, Buckeye offense cold on the sideline in Ann Arbor. And if Michigan can sustain long drives and prevent Stroud and Travion Henderson and the nine receivers that they can throw out there in that offense, then Michigan's got a shot. I don't know that it's going to be sustainable. Harbaugh, it's been well documented that he hasn't beaten Ohio State, really hasn't beaten any of his rivals, and the closest – Uh, production that they've had from any team was 2015 when there was that questionable call down going in and Harbaugh and Michigan fans still don't want to talk about that since then they really haven't had a team quite like this one so that gives me a little bit of reservation but Ohio State is humming right now and unless CJ Stroud just has a very off game and Travion Henderson has the fumbles I I see the Buckeyes covering the um, the eight points here and winning convincingly not 56-7 Fifty-six to seven, like last week, but convincingly over the Wolverines. Give me Ohio State minus eight. Sully,
1: guys, guys, guys. You know you're you're giving Michigan a little too much credit. And there it is. The reason why you're giving them too much credit is you are giving Jim Harbaugh too much credit. What happens when he faces a top ten team? They never show up. The team's not prepared. They're not ready. They get their doors blown off. Uh, you know what I mean look what happened against Michigan State Michigan State's a good team they're not a great team and, and they lost to them I mean Jim Harbaugh cannot get over the hump and beat a top 5 team a top 10 team certainly not a number 2 or 3 team uh, this is an easy one for me Ohio State I think is the best team in the country uh, I'm, I know again I said in 3 shows in a row you never chase a loss and try to double up but you know what I'm going to 3 game losing streak with my heaters and uh, I'm throwing 1,000 thousand three zeros, one zero zero on the box this is an easy one for me
2: And for our listeners, Sully is currently working without two thumbs. So hopefully you can get this back, Sully, and you don't have to lose more. Uh, Let's go to the Civil War for the Platypus Trophy. Number 11, Oregon, coming off a stinging loss to Utah last week. They host the Oregon State Beavers. This pretty much will be for the de facto Pac-12 North Championship because the winner of this game essentially – Will take the north unless Washington State wins. They would have the tiebreaker over Oregon State if the Beavers win. Look, uh, these two teams don't like each other. Oregon lost last year in, or at uh, Corvallis when they shouldn't have. They lost last week. They are pissed off, and who better to be pissed off than your bitter rival? I think because of this, Oregon rolls in this one. Give me 40 CFI bucks on this one. I don't really. I don't think it's going to be close after halftime, I see the Ducks winning maybe by 24 points or more, so give me the green, baby. Sully, what do you like?
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm rolling with the Ducks here, too. Maybe I'm giving Chris the ball a little too much credit. Uh, he certainly didn't have that team ready to play Utah last week, but uh, I, think, I think they bounce back. I think it's a veteran team. I think they get a lot of pride in, in uh, Eugene. Uh, they're going to bounce back, and they're going to win this one. I'll take them, give them the points, and I'll put, uh, I'll put 50 on them.
2: All right. We'll add that in. Wax, are you joining the duck train, or do you see the Beavers with with reason to celebrate?
3: You know what? I think Oregon is questioning itself. Um, It didn't just get beat. It got beat up. Utah was the more physical team. Oregon prides itself on being physical with Cristobal, the way he likes to design that team. Oregon State, defensively anyway, has the same sort of team. And the last four years, this game has gotten closer and closer. It's gone from a 59-point spread, that's ridiculous, to yeah. 40 to 14. Last year, this was a three-point game, um, and the Beavers won the game. I think that Jonathan Smith has done some really good things there. I don't think he's afraid of Oregon, um, and I think if they lose big, they're at least going to go down swinging. I'm going to put my money on the visitors. Uh, Oregon State has covered four of the last six in the series, so I'm going to lean toward the Beavers. They may not win, but I can see it coming down. Field goal, four points, that this is a game till the final whistle. Sure.
2: And Oregon has won 11 of the last 13. They've been perfect at home in that span. And yeah, seven points is enough for me to think that they can win by a touchdown. But again, I think that they roll in this one. Let's go to Bedlam. And Wax, you were talking about it earlier. So you'll get the first honors here. Number 10, Oklahoma against number seven, Oklahoma State. And this is a game that could be part one of two because we might see him in a rematch of, you know, in the big 12 Championship. So start us off wax. Who do you like between the Sooners and the Cowboys? The pokes are giving, giving three and a half points. So they're the favorite here.
3: Who do you like? Um, again, I talked about it a little earlier the, the way that Jim Knowles has designed this defense almost from the, the back forward. Most people like to have the really good defensive line and, and Oklahoma state's defensive line is good. But their back seven is really what makes them go. And I think that for a young guy like Caleb Williams, with all of the talent he has, I could see uh, him getting confused a little bit by some of the pre-snap looks. And they're going to hit you. I mean, Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray, they're going to get their carries, but they're also going to get smacked. Um, I like Oklahoma State in this. History says I should probably take Oklahoma because they win this game comfortably, but there just seems to be something about this Oklahoma state team. that gives me confidence. I'm going to put 20 bucks on the Cowboys and they win in Stillwater and they party into the wee wee hours.
2: Oh yeah. that, That field will be rushed if they win. Um, I just don't know that I can trust Spencer Sanders. It's going to come down to him, which means he's going to have to have no turnovers. He's going to need to throw a couple of touchdowns, and they're going to need to rattle Caleb Williams and stop that that rush game, which I have full faith in Oklahoma State. I don't know that I have as much faith in their offense. So when it comes down to it, I like the Sooners in this one. So give me OU to win it, but I'm still not convinced that they're a college football playoff team, but I think that they're good enough to win
3: here.
1: Selling. who do you like in Bedlam? You know what? My heart's telling me Oklahoma State wins this one big. Uh, I love Gundy. I love that whole program. Uh, if I could pick a team that could crash the party in the CFP, it would be them. Uh, so I do think they win this game, but I just think that Oklahoma has too much talent. Uh, I, I think it's going to come down to maybe a backdoor cover. Uh, it could be a late field goal that, uh, that wins it for Oklahoma State. But either way, uh, i definitely like the folks to win. I'm not going to wager any money on this one because I am going to go with Oklahoma with the points, but uh, I think it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a fun game to watch. And by the way, this see, is see, the see that, guys? I'm learning, right? I'm not, I'm not just placing money on every game. I'm learning.
2: We are proud of you, Sully. We I get eight so fingers, proud. but
1: I'm learning. <laughs> well,
2: and, and this is the 11th time that both teams have been ranked. Um, and we know that OU has won 14 of the last 16 against Gundy, but under Gundy's tutelage, he's had his pokes ranked 11 of these 16 years and OU has been ranked almost every one of those years. So interesting fact, I think this is a rivalry that gets overlooked and a lot of times people think it's been all Oklahoma, which it has in the win column, but these teams have been ranked quite a number of times. The last one here, we're going to go better choice. So just real quick, um, I'll start it off. I'm going to encourage our listeners to take Michigan state who is uh Giving, or I'm sorry, getting a point and a half at home on senior day against Penn State, a Penn State team that might be without Sean Clifford, a Penn State team that can't run the football, and against the Michigan State team that is ticked off and stinging from that loss against Ohio State. I think Kenneth Walker runs for almost 200 here and keeps his name relevant. In the Heisman talk, he won't win it, but he'll still be relevant. So give me the spot and one and a half
1: point underdog at home against Penn State. Uh, Sully. You know what, chap. I love you, brother. It's going to be great Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you and and Wax, but I'm going against you on this one. Uh, I love Penn State in this one. One reason, one reason only. I said I wasn't going to mention his name, so I'm not. Uh, But you know what his last name uh, rhymes with, and he's going to be the reason why the Spartans lose this one. He's not going to have these boys ready. He had this team thinking they were going to the big dance in the end, the final four, <laughs> and, uh, and they just got embarrassed last week. The embarrassment carries over. Uh, I quote my man Sam Pittman every week saying one loss can't lead to two. But uh, this that loss last week for the Buckeyes are going to lead to a big loss this weekend to the Nittany Lions. And you know what? They're pumped that their head ball coach is going to be around in uh, in their valley for another decade. So I think they play for him, and I think they're excited. I love I love Penn State even with the one and a half I'm I'm all over this one. All
2: right, yeah. Well, they're they're excited as for now anyway. For all they know, he's going to be here for for another ten years.
1: Wax, let's go to you to finish this
3: off here. Who's your better's choice? Who should the, the the listeners take? I like the Kansas State Wildcats getting three at Texas. Typically, like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas rolls in this series but they gotta be questioning their confidence. There was a quarterback merry-go-round last week. Kansas State is a tough team. Deuce Vaughn is good. I know that Skylar Thompson got hurt, um, but that's an experienced team. Chris Kleiman does not let his team certainly get out hustled. And if there's one thing Texas has shown is that it can't stand prosperity. So I think Kansas State, this is a game the entire way if Kansas State doesn't win, you're looking at like a 28-27 Longhorns uh, squeak it out. So I think this could be one of the best games of the weekend in terms of drama. Give me Kansas State plus three.
2: And we're back for another edition of Bips Bets here on the college football impact. And Bip, welcome back, man. You're coming back firing. You were two and zero against the spread last week. You hit the Minnesota minus seven against Indiana. You hit Notre Dame minus 17 against Georgia tech. And really Notre Dame could have been minus 35 and you still would have been comfortable <laughs> on that one. I mean, that was right. a, a cakewalk for the Irish. Good to see Georgia tech just did not want to play any defense That game was over in the second quarter. No real need to go into the locker room and and adjust anything. It was basically let's get on the bus safely. Um, You went, you won the money line, Clemson over Wake Forest. Sadly, my boy Sam Hartman did not come out victorious in that one. But Mm -hmm. it's good to see that you were right on that end. And old Sammy still has a chance to win the ACC Atlantic this weekend if they take care of business against Boston College, who let us both down when they dropped a home game against Florida State and Jordan Travis and all the other. Unmentionables that Florida State has working their way, scrapping towards possibly a six win season if they can beat Florida in the swamp. But enough about last week. Let's move on. You're three and one. So let's hear your picks against the spread for week 13, Bip.
0: Yeah, Chappie, last week I broke one of my two rules don't bet on the Big 12, don't bet on a Florida State game. Uh, So thanks a lot for that one, BC. But In keeping with that, we're going to we're going to double down, uh, but this time against Boston College. And I'm going to take Wake Forest Lane four and a half at Boston College. Now, Boston College has been extremely streaky this year. They started off four and oh, then lost four in a row before winning two more consecutively. Then, as we mentioned last week, they inexcusably lost against Florida State. So Wake Forest has lived dangerously this year. Uh, they've won three games by a field goal. They lost the North Carolina, North Carolina game in the fashion that they did. So that combined with BC's unpredictability made me nervous about betting this game until I looked into the numbers. So Boston College ranks 11th in the ACC in scoring at 26 points per game. Wake Forest, on the other hand, is ranked fourth nationally in scoring offense, but they're only 109th in time of possession, meaning they are extremely efficient with their possessions. They can score quickly and often, while the Eagles rank third In the ACC and scoring defense, and Wake Forest has a well documented terrible defense that just gave up 38 points to Clemson of all teams. I see the disparity between Wake's offense and Boston College's offense being too large of a gap for BC to close with their defense. Boston College is in the middle of the road enforcing turnovers and in the bottom 100 of getting into opponents' backfields. They rank 102nd in tackles for loss and 103rd in sacks per game. If BC can't set up Wake with second and third and long on a consistent basis, or forced turnovers, they don't have much of a chance in this one as their offense isn't set up to get in a shootout with Wake. A Wake Forest win gets them into the ACC championship game, and you know they have the extra motivation headed into this game against the Eagles. BC has shown a trend recently to struggle against a running quarterback, and I think Sam Hartman takes this game into his own hands, and the Deeks win by a touchdown or more. Take Wake in this one, given the four and a half, Chappie.
2: I agree with that. I like that. Uh, so Wake, given the four and a half, no problem against BC. Coach Halfley trying to set up for success next year in Chestnut Hill. All right. What's your next pick against the spread here, Bip? Well, I'm going to keep with my Irish chappie, Notre Dame laying 19
0: points at Stanford. So, the Irish took care of business in a way I never imagined last week. 55 points was their highest point total of the season. And that defense shutting down Jameer Gibbs Jameer Gibbs, and shutting out the Yellow Jackets was extremely impressive. They were in the Tech backfield early and often. And last week I covered the disparity between Notre Dame and Georgia Tech when it comes to third down conversion rate. This week Stanford comes in ranking 111th in third down conversion rate offensively and 117th when trying to stop their opponents on third down. That means that... They're off the field early and their defense comes on pretty quickly and stays on there for a long time. So Notre Dame has bested each of their last three opponents by more than 19 points and won those games by a margin of 117 to 9, Chabby. Stanford, on the other hand, has lost each of their last three games by 21 or more, being outscored 128 to 32. The Cardinal are 126th in rushing offense, and while 78th in uh, passing offense is kind of middle of the road, Tanner McKee has a 3-7 to to touchdown-to-interception ratio in Stanford's last four games, all losses. Stanford is 97th in sacks allowed, while Notre Dame is 4th in the country in getting to the quarterback. And Stanford is 127th in rushing defense, while Notre Dame has averaged over 214 yards per game in their last five contests, as that offensive line continues to turn into a huge strength after being their Achilles heel earlier in the year. Stanford has played spoiler to Notre Dame a few times during the Brian Kelly era, but the Irish have won the last two in a row, and this is the worst Stanford team under David Shaw. The Irish continue to roll and cover the 19 points easily in Notre Dame's closing argument as to why they belong in the college football playoff.
2: And I can easily see Kyron Williams exclamating that three-score difference with a uh, an impressive, tough, rugged touchdown run late in the game. So, mm-hmm. You're right. Stanford just does not look good this year. The only offensive threat they have is Benjamin Urasik and Notre Dame's front seven will get to Tanner McKee. And you mentioned his numbers. He's the best quarterback they've got. And when you've got a three to seven TD to interception ratio in your last four games, that ain't pretty. Their only hope is to be able to run the ball, which they can't do against a Notre Dame defense, which is pretty good against the run. So I like that pick as well. That number is getting a little bit too high for comfort for me, but like I said last week, if anyone knows the Irish, it's going to be you. So I'm going to trust you <laughs> on that one, Vip. Do you have any money lines for us this week?
0: Yeah, I got a couple quick ones for you. Um, Iowa um only a point and a half favorite over Nebraska. So this one I saw. And they started
2: out as an underdog. They were a four and a half point underdog. And of course, that was before Adrian Martinez was declared to be out for the exactly. game. Exactly. I was surprised that Iowa started out as a four point dog, even though they're on the road when they've owned that series as well, but I'm still in your thunder. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're taking a lot of my points here, Chappie, but <laughs> I, I, I knew you, I knew you knew all of this already, but stop me. If you've heard this before, Nebraska keeps really getting really close uh, in games with, and they're bound to break through soon, but at some point that stops being impressive and the narrative turns to this team loses a lot of football games and I think that happens this week when the Hawkeyes deliver Nebraska only their second nine loss season in school history the last time being when the Huskers went one and nine in 1957 Nebraska's only wins this year are Fordham Buffalo and Northwestern and as you mentioned Adrian Martinez will not be playing in this game which is a problem for Nebraska he leads the Huskers in rushing and he's fourth in the Big Ten in passing Nebraska is averaging 28 and a half points per game with Martinez. But if you take out games against Fordham and Northwestern, sorry, Chappie, that drops them down to just under 23 points per game. While Iowa's defense is allowing only 16.9 points per game. I was the last six matchups in this one. And one of the last three were by one score uh, each. I see Iowa making it seven in a row. Take the Hawkeyes straight up in this one.
2: All right. No argument there. Uh, do you have another one or are yep. you going to stick with that?
0: We're going to, we're going to stay in the big 10 and uh, Wisconsin is laying seven over Minnesota. I like this one just straight up. Um, So Wisconsin's riding a seven game win streak and is one of the teams that no one wants to see on their schedule. The remainder of the year, Braylon Allen is averaging 144 yards per game in those seven wins and has scored three touchdowns in each of the last two games. In addition to the ground game, controlling the tempo of the game, the Badger D has done their part as well, allowing only 27% of third downs to be converted by their opponents during their win streak. Minnesota's yet to beat a top 25 team this year, and the Gophers rely on the running game to be effective on offense, and Wisconsin ranks first in the country in run D, allowing 13 yards fewer per game than the mighty Georgia Bulldogs, who rank second. Wisconsin wins this game easily as they wait to see who they'll meet in Indy between Michigan and Ohio State. Jump around with the Badgers straight up in this one, Chappie.
2: I like it. So to recap, BIP has taken Wake minus four and a half at Boston College to win the Atlantic and play in the ACC championship next weekend. Notre Dame minus 19 out on the farm at Stanford. Iowa straight up money line at Nebraska and Wisconsin straight up money line at Minnesota. BIP, thanks for joining us again. Uh, You're three and one. We're hoping for higher numbers or at least to match at the very least. And uh, we appreciate you coming on Enjoy the football. Enjoy the family. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, brother.
0: Always a pleasure, Chappie. Happy Thanksgiving.
2: All right. That's going to do it for the college football impact on the CFP podcast. Gentlemen, have a great Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for you. I echo your sentiments, Sully. So thanks again, Sully. Thanks, Wax. Thanks for you, all the listeners. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody.